Cause when all your dreams have fallen through And your plans come crashing in on you Don't lose hope no matter how it seems Cause faith will take you closer Faith will keep you safer. Faith will take you farther than your dreams. Good morning. As we begin the service, let's stand together and sing. We are standing in his presence on holy ground. together majesty majesty it's him number 297 297 grateful this morning uh, for this beautiful day. Thank you for the sunshine. Father, thank you for the, 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 the blessing of another day to serve you, to really commit our way to you today to, to honor and glorify you. Father, we're, we're thankful that we have such a beautiful sanctuary to meet in and to, and to, and to offer our gift of worship to you today. Father, this, uh, th- this world and this life is filled with so many frustrations and it's, it's filled with distractions 
uh, Father, that would, uh, that would have the heart of us this morning. And so, Father, we just pray that, that, your, that your spirit, uh, as he moves among us, that he, that he casts aside distraction and frustration uh, and all of the things that, that, are, that, that would take our attention away from you. Father, may our, may, our, may our minds, our bodies, and our souls be wholly attentive to your work and your will this morning. Father, through the preaching of the word, through the, through the ministry of the music and the tithe, Father, I pray that, that our gift uh, that we offer you today is pleasing in your sight. Father, what a blessing, what a privilege to serve among my brothers and sisters here at First Baptist Church. I pray that you just bless the continuing, ongoing work of our ministry here, uh, that you continue to bless the faith, the hands, and the feet that, uh, that are about the work here. Father, as we now commit this service to you, Father, may it be received uh, in, 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 in your pleasure. Father, may it be a delight to hear your, your, your sons and daughters lift their voices to you. And Father, may all that we say and do this morning uh, bring you honor and bring you glory. Pray all this now in Jesus' name, and amen. amen. One of the things I like about hymns that we've been singing a long time, Just As I Am, then they've taken and added the chorus, I Come Broken, and this text is so appropriate for the church. You know, many people think in order to come to church, everything's got to be just perfect. Your life has to be all in order, and there's, uh, everything's just wonderful, and everybody is, you know, God's just grand and glorious, and everything in life is perfect. But this chorus says, I come broken to be mended. I come wounded to be healed. I come desperate to be rescued, and I come empty to be filled I come guilty to be pardoned by the blood of Christ the Lamb, and I'm welcome with open arms, just as I am. Let's worship together. Let's stand as we sing.
have a seat. From the Word of God this morning, we come to Ephesians chapter 6. Now often in in our understanding of Scripture, this is the whole armor of God passage. And uh, and it's intended to be that, uh, that, you know, the helmet of salvation and things like that. But Paul has these words to say before he gets into those specifics of the armor of God. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13, he says this, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. And in the power of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. But we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, because of these things, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Amen. All the Lord asks of us, all the Lord requires of us, is to stand and let Him fight the battles for us. As the Word of God this morning is read in the house of God. Our offertory hymn is Shine, Jesus, Shine. We'll sing all the verses. Let's stand together as we worship. The light of your love is shining in the midst of the darkness shining. Jesus, light of the world, shine upon us, set us free by the truth you now bring us.
Thank you, Miss Linda. Thank you, musicians. Thank you, Brother Richard, uh, for leading that uh, worship for us and um, bringing us to the Lord through the music. Let's, let's transition now into the preaching of the Word. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 50. I want to look at two verses today, and that is verses 20 and 21. Now, a couple weeks ago, just to kind of catch up, um, we began a series called Overcomer, uh, and really just looking at Joseph as a model for overcoming temptation. Um, last week, we looked at uh, him as a case model, as kind of, a, kind of an example for us to follow, uh, not just in how to overcome temptation, but how temptation is presented, um, specifically how temptation presents itself most commonly among us uh, today. Um, Joseph's, uh, Joseph's um, story, Joseph's example is kind of prefaced as with, from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, in that no temptation has overtaken man except that which is common to man. But God is faithful, and he will not allow us to be tempted above beyond that which we are able, and with the temptation will provide a way out. Now that's the preface to Joseph's story. We use that as an example of a message of hope. Because, uh, because we all endure temptation, because temptation can be overwhelming, sometimes because it's so powerful, uh, because we're human, we need hope. We need encouragement. We need something from the Word of God that says, yes, we can overcome this. And so that's what Joseph's story begins to teach us, as last week we outlined specific things that Joseph endured. The first one that we're going to look at today is betrayal. Uh, Joseph first... In, in, the, in, the, in the story of Joseph's life, uh, Joseph's first temptation was betrayal. Now, to be sure, Joseph didn't or wasn't necessarily tempted with betrayal as much as he had to endure its bitter impact on his life. Um, his temptation required him to endure betrayal without giving in to sin himself. All right, and that is... For many people, where the rubber meets the road, and that's where it becomes practical, it's where it becomes real and tangible, is when we are betrayed, and we have to endure that betrayal without giving in to sin. Now, I want to preface today's sermon with this reflection. It is true that God will not hold you responsible for what someone else does to you. He will, in fact, hold you responsible for how you respond to how you're treated. Okay? Now, you can't help what other people do. You can't help their choices. You can't help how they sin against you. And specifically, you can't help how they betray you. What you can help is how you react. And, and Joseph's story is, is, a, is a reflection on how to respond well to betrayal. In our humanity, we often have a hard time distinguishing this specific thing, and we end up fighting many of the wrong battles. We act and we react in ways that typically just waste time, they waste energy, and they waste resources. Joseph had to endure one of the most bitter examples of betrayal in the entirety of Scripture. And so that's the outline, or that's the text that we're going to today. So let's stand together. Let's read Genesis chapter 50, the, 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 almost, almost the last two verses of the entire book of Genesis, verses 20 and 21. This is Joseph's reflection or his response to his brothers who have just presented themselves to him in mercy. Joseph says this, 
But as for you, speaking to his brothers, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is to this day, to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Let's pray. Father, this morning as we enter into your presence, Father, we do so with the preface of this scripture. Father, as it has been read in the assembling of your people, we pray that you bless it. Father, we pray that you magnify it and multiply it in our souls this morning so that we might not sin against you. Help us to understand the Christian response to betrayal this morning. Help us to use Joseph's example, his model, as a, as a, as a way to fight and endure the temptation that comes along with the bitter feelings and emotions of betrayal. Father, bless the reading of your word this morning. We pray this now in Jesus' name, and amen. All right, go ahead and have a seat. Now, the first thing I want to do in, in, this, in this journey through betrayal is to recap Joseph's betrayal. What, what happened to Joseph that, that was the expression or the fullness of his betrayal? The first thing that needs to be mentioned about Joseph is that he was... Um, despised, he was hated by his brothers because of the favor that he found in his father's eyes. Joseph's favor caused his brothers to react and to act toward him in a way that was sinful. They hated him and they despised him because of the favor that Jacob gave him. Now, understanding that is important because Jacob, or rather Joseph, was Jacob's favorite child, as we see in chapter 37, because he was the son of his old age. He was the firstborn son, if you can remember, to an infertile Rachel, right? As Rachel is watching her sister Leah have all kinds of children, she was unable to have children. And the Lord remembered Rachel and gave her a child, that child was Joseph. And so this made Joseph very special indeed to both Jacob and Rachel. And Jacob's favor was on Joseph to such a degree that that he ended up making a coat specifically for Jacob, or rather Joseph, that, that, that captured the favor that Jacob had toward him. Now this was out of this was out of the ordinary too, by the way. This, this, wasn't, this wasn't common in ancient times for, the, for the, the sun on the bottom to be favored above the suns on the top. If you can, if you can remember Joseph's uh, brothers, he was the 11th born in a line of 12 boys. Reuben. Reuben was the firstborn, which would have given him positional favor. Jacob's favor was what it was. It was not his fault. It wasn't of anything of his own doing. And so Jacob treated him differently, right? He talked to him differently. He made him a coat that that, that kind of captured or illuminated the the, the favor that symbolized, if you will, the favor that Jacob gave to Joseph. And this instigated jealousy. It instigated hatred by his other brothers. In fact, in Genesis 37, verse 4, it says this, But when the brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him. And could not speak peaceably to him. You ever had an encounter with someone like that? Such a strong, 
such a strong feeling of animosity, such a strong feeling of jealousy or hatred, maybe even in the reciprocation of maybe others showing that towards you, there wasn't a, a, a peaceful word that could be had between the company. And this hatred grew after Joseph had dreams of greatness. And Joseph shared those dreams with his brothers. That hatred and that jealousy intensified. And that caused him, or caused them anyway, to hatch a plot. They first, if you want to go through this betrayal step by step, and I'm going to just recap these really quickly and then we're going to move on. They first, in, verse, in chapter 37, they first attempted to kill him by throwing him into a pit. Now, I think in our modern reflection, this, this may or may not make any sense, but, but, but this, is, this is the plot. Jacob sees Joseph at the house. All the other brothers are out tending to the, to the flocks of Jacob and all of that kind of stuff. And so they see, so Joseph is sent out by Jacob to his brothers and just say, hey, check on them. See what's going on, see how they're doing and all that kind of stuff. So Joseph goes. And as they see him coming, they say, here comes the dreamer. Let's kill him. And so their first thought was to throw him into a pit. They thought that they could say, well, look, we'll, just, we'll kill him, we'll throw him in a pit and say some wild animals did it. Of course, Reuben, the oldest, comes up and says, no, 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 let's not, let's not kill him. We don't want his blood to be on our hands. Let's just throw him into the pit. So while, they're, while they throw him into the pit, and they're sitting around eating lunch, J- Judah comes up with a great idea as a caravan of Ishmaelites comes along, he says, well, let's not, let's not kill him because that, that's going to look bad. Let's just sell him. Let's just sell him to some Ishmaelite traders, which is the second part of this whole thing, is that they, they decide to sell him. Sitting around eating lunch, by the way. Who hatches a plot like that while you're, while you're eating lunch? You got your chips and your drink and your bologna sandwich, and you're just gnawing away, and your brother's down there in the pit, and he's like, hey, Reuben! Help me out here. I know this is just a joke. I know you're just kidding. Help me out. Get me out of here. And so they pull him out, and he's thinking, oh, guys, y'all are so funny. And then they see these Ishmaelite traders over here going on their way to Egypt, and they're exchanging 20 pieces of silver for Joseph's life. And so Joseph's life fundamentally, it, it, it transformationally changed over that lunch. They sell him for 20 shekels of silver. At that time, of course, Reuben, the oldest, comes back to the party, sees what they've done, and they sign and say, look, guys, this this is awful. Now, this is going to be my responsibility. I'm going to have to go back to Dad, and I'm going to have to explain what happened. So we're going to have to come up with something else besides we sold him, because that's going to be on us. So Reuben is the one that decides to rip up the coat, dip it in goat's blood, and then go back to Jacob and tell him that Joseph was killed by wild animals. So they lied. Thirdly, they lied to their own father and their own mothers about the death of Jacob. And this this is where the, the level of betrayal becomes devastating. I mean, the source of Joseph's betrayal didn't come from an enemy outside of the camp. It didn't come from anybody that, that he didn't know or some stranger on the, on the side of the road. It came from his own family. Those who were closest to him, those of his own kin and blood, were the very ones who betrayed him. He never got to say, he never got to say goodbye to his mother. 
Never got to say goodbye to his father. Never got to take one last stroll around the house before he was taken into a foreign land. At 17 years old, taken into a foreign land, away from everything that he knew. In short, Jacob's brothers literally took everything from him except his faith. They took everything, his life, his livelihood, his position, his place, his favor, and they literally sold it all away for 20 pieces of silver and then lied about it to, to, to Jacob. His faith, though, consequently, was the only thing that he had left from his old life. And it would also be the only thing that he would need in his new life. Which brings us to our second part of jo- Joseph's response to this betrayal. I mean, this is, this, is, this is a level of betrayal that most people will never experience. They'll never know what Joseph went through, what he endured, the bitterness of knowing that while he was being, what, walking down the road to Egypt and while he was in Egyptian slavery, while, while he was in all of those different, he never, they, nobody, most people don't ever know what was going through his mind and how painful. And, they, and now the experience itself literally took everything away from him. But Joseph's response to his brothers is indicative of how the believer should respond to these things as well. Betrayal especially. The first thing that Joseph did was that he remained faithful to God. In fact, despite the fact that everything was taken away from Joseph, he chose to remain faithful to the Lord. And this is a pivotal moment in the decision-making process of any Christian who faces betrayal. You, you have to choose to remain faithful to the Lord despite your circumstances, despite what's going on around you, despite what's happening to you. You have to remain faithful to the Lord because when his bitterness is turned over to the Lord, it turns to faith. And he turned what any one of us would have called a pity party into an opportunity to be faithful to God. And Joseph teaches us that, that, that we are to be quick to yield to the Lord what other people do to us. Right? Because we can't help that. We can't change what other people do, what other people say, or what happens to us. So we have, we have to be quick to yield to the Lord what they do. Because it's true this morning, and I don't have to tell you this. Life's just not fair. Amen? Life's not fair. It, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where, where your last name is. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter what your standing is. It doesn't matter what, what you've gone through in life. Life in and of itself is just not fair. And it's true that bad things do indeed happen to good people. I know we ask that question all the time. Why does God allow these bad things to happen to good people? Well, because Scripture says... That the Lord makes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and that he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. The fact is that the Lord does allow things to happen to us that are just simply overwhelming. We can't endure some of the things that happen to us alone. That's why God has given to us not only his own fellowship and his own faithfulness, but the word of God and and the people of God. Because we need others to endure temptations and hardships that are simply overwhelming. I mean, the fact is, from our story today, Joseph didn't deserve what happened to him. What did he do? What did Joseph do that would elicit a question of, why, God? Why did you let this happen? Well, God knew the answer to that question, but Joseph surely didn't. 
And Joseph, in many ways, was the seed of a covenant. I mean, Joseph was supposed to be like, like a sacred cow. He wasn't supposed to go through hardship. Things like this weren't supposed to happen to believers like him. But they do. They do, in fact, happen because God never told us that his people would be insulated from the circumstances of life. He never promised the, the, the sunny skies and the healthy lives and the wind's going to be at our back and that every day is going to be Friday. He never promised that. In fact, he said, if you're a believer, then you know what? Get ready because in this world, you're going to have tribulation. But be of good cheer because I've overcome this world and nothing that comes against you can overcome you. Scripture tells us that God, that God is not a respecter of persons. So therein lies a choice. Will we remain faithful to the Lord despite what our days might bring? Will we commit our ways to Him regardless of how many times our paths diverge? Will our faith guide us into the future that is paved with the providence of God? I mean, the choice is really ours to make. If we choose poorly on the one hand, we're doomed to a prison of bitterness and vengeance and regret. But if we choose wisely, we release that which we cannot control to the sovereign God of heaven and earth. Which brings me to our second point. Joseph acknowledged in our text today what was done to him. Right? And I think... I think as we, as we give way to the, to the sovereignty of God in our lives and we give way to the, to the will of God in our lives, we begin to work out the interpersonal nature of sometimes betrayal. I think one of the misconceptions and one of the great misconceptions that exist in the issue of betrayal is that, that the betrayed, the offended, has to somehow be okay with what happened to them. And that's just simply not true. Forgiveness does not mean that we have to be okay with what someone did to us. In fact, forgiveness means that you have taken a moment, that you have acknowledged it confessionally, and that you have outsourced that to God. In our text today, it means sometimes confronting those who have wronged you. Verse 20. But as for you, brothers, hear those words this morning of acknowledgement. And sometimes in our in, our, in, our, in our, our seeking of justice or vengeance, we sometimes only get, sometimes we don't even get this, but sometimes we only get just the opportunity to confront those who have wronged us, to take an opportunity to, to address exactly what they did. Joseph did this, by the way. He says, but as for you, as for you, Reuben and Simeon and Levi and Judah and Issachar and Zebulun and Dan and Naphtali and Gad and Asher and even you, Benjamin, my own brother, my own full-blooded brother, you guys betrayed me. You guys tried to kill me. You sold me into slavery. You took my parents away from me. You stole my home away from me. And you alone did this. And he's acknowledging that. He was given the opportunity to address his brothers, the very ones who betrayed him to their core. And sometimes in our lives, in our Christian response, sometimes if we have ought against a brother or a sister, we are to go to that person and acknowledge that. Not dance around it, not treat it with cotton gloves, not, not try to avoid it or allow it to just be the elephant in the room, but go straight to it and discuss it. In Christian grace... 
Because in that capacity, the Lord has a way of forgiving and allowing forgiveness to permeate and assuage the feelings of betrayal and bitterness. Acknowledging someone's wrongdoing also involves their intent. Joseph goes on to say, but as for you, you meant evil against me. There's just no way around it. No matter how you slice it, no matter how you try to spin it, no matter how you look at it, guys, you tried, you, you had, this was evil, and you intentionally did it to me. Designed to harm me. And that's not okay. It's not okay. Joseph finally, after years of finally, he was in his 30s by the time he finally got to do this. Right? I mean, he, was, he, was, he had lived a long time, seen a lot of things before he were ever, was ever able to face his brothers and acknowledge their wrongdoing against him. Joseph wasn't okay. He didn't have to be okay with it. He was a victim. And he was openly acknowledging what had been done against him. But rather than giving way to a victim mentality, he instead gives way to God's sovereignty over his life. And that brings us to our third point. Joseph shows us at least how to recognize God's sovereign plan over our lives, especially his life. I mean, because, I mean, at some point, at some point in Joseph's life, you have to just give way and say, God, look, you know, I'm, 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 in un, I'm in uncharted territory. My brothers just sold me for 20 shekels of silver. I'm in a land I've never been before. I'm around people that I don't know. I don't know their language. I don't know their customs. I don't know any. All I know is that I'm told to get up every morning and do this and do that and do that. God, you know. And his faith. And his faith in the sovereign plan of God over his life is acknowledged by his words, but God meant it for good. This is is a transformational verse for us in our human capacity. Because sometimes what people intend for good, God can turn it around to his own glory. What people, rather what people intend for evil against us, God can make it and turn it into good. The deep feelings of betrayal that we're often left grasping with are powerless against the sovereignty of God because nothing happens in our lives apart from the knowledge of God. We can then have confidence knowing that that even in the bad things that happen to us, God can use that for good. Despite the times that Joseph was betrayed, he never gave way to despair because he ultimately trusted God with his future. This is a judicious place to live. Hear me. This is a, this is a place, if, if you ever reach this place and you're resolved and you give yourself to the sovereignty of God, this is a very peaceful place to be. It's, it, you can rest judiciously, not in the, just the principles of God, but in his promises that, that I'm going to bless you, I'm going to take care of you, I'm going to watch over you. And this kind of mentality, this kind of mindset keeps us from falling into despair. I mean, Joseph could have at any moment in this story fallen into this great, this line of depression and despair. He could have gone down and seen his doctor and gotten medicine. He could have gotten counseling. He could have got all kinds of things because of the despair, just 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 the despair alone. This kind of mentality keeps us from falling into this kind of despair. It prevents us from taking a victim mentality. This is very common in our world today. If you're a victim, then you are somehow therefore justified 
to do whatever it is you see as right to enact justice. Victim mentality has become a very popular thing. Even people that aren't victims of anything still accept and still own a victim mentality because it's a very self-righteous place to be. Because if I'm a victim and you've wronged me, then I, have, then I deserve justice. We know that God's plan for our lives don't involve victim mentalities. He would rather allow us or empower us to justly stand before Him rather than fearing our circumstances. And we're not, when, we're not, when, when we're not afraid of our circumstances, we trust whatever the Lord is doing in our lives are for our best interest. We learn, therefore, to trust Him with the details that consume our lives rather than always trying to figure out a way out of them. And this, is, uh, this happens all the time. People in temptation, people in struggle, hardship, trials, all these different kinds of things. Instead of, they're, they're, they're constantly trying to f- find a way out of them rather than allowing God's permissive will, God's sovereign will, to be found in their lives. And this was certainly the position that Joseph chose to take. This position empowered him to do something that few people are, ever at- are able, able to attain to, which is to forgive those who have offended them. Joseph, fourthly, chose to forgive his brothers. In the end, we see the evidence of that in our text he says, but, for God, but God meant it for good in order to bring it, as, bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. You see, Joseph's plan was about preserving not just a, a, an entire nation of people, but, but the family, the covenant family of God. He says, verse 21, now therefore do not be afraid. After I've acknowledged what's happened, after I've done all of these things, don't be afraid. Why? Because I forgive you. And not only am I going to forgive you, I'm going to actually assume a position of responsibility for you. I'm going to take care of you from here on out. Be comforted by these words. I'm not just going to take care of you, brothers. I'm going to take care of your children as well. This, 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 this forgiveness of his brothers did two things. First, it released him from the potential prison of unforgiveness that Joseph could have easily been trapped into. So many people I meet today are walking around with unforgiveness. They, they, they've been wronged. They've been, they've, somebody's done something to them, maybe even justifiably so. They, they have a right to be offended, but they live in this constant state of unforgiveness. And they're bound to that prison. And that, that, that's not a place for Christians to be, or, or at least to live. He was released from this potential prison when he offered forgiveness toward his brothers. He also released his brothers from any liability. In fact... The forgiveness that he offered empowered Joseph to move simply past releasing his brothers from liability and encouraged him to offer peace and provision to them. And this is the zenith of forgiveness. Not only have have you forgiven them, but that you have welcomed them in as a friend. And this is what God can do with, 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 with the ashes of sin and causality. He can take those broken hearts, those broken relationships and those circumstances, and he can turn that into beauty. Now, Joseph's example, his model, is one that I'm going to follow this last part, and I'm going to kind of work through these, three things, these four things. How does the Christian, therefore, what is our responsibility to betrayal? What is the Christian response to betrayal? First, we've got to remain faithful to God. 
No matter what happened, no matter who did what and when they did it and all those kinds of things, you must remain faithful to God. For the Christian, betrayal is not beyond the grip of God's grace. Our reactions to betrayal can honor and glorify Him. But they can also do the opposite. If we get caught up in the acts of betrayal and we begin to seek justice, we can certainly dishonor and and, and not bring glory to the name of the Lord. Which is why we should be be very careful about remaining faithful despite our circumstances. Because it's how we remain faithful during those flames of affliction that testify to the quality of our faith. If our faith, for example, is absent, then the flames will consume us. If our faith is present and it's placed in the Lord alone, then those flames will not consume you. They will actually refine you into this, glor- this, glorified, this glorified object of God's grace. And those are the two options. If we choose faith, then we allow the flames of affliction to refine us into an instrument of God's glory. If we choose to let them overwhelm us and consume us, then our faith will not endure. But we have to remain faithful to the Lord. Secondly, in betrayal, there there is a time, a proper place to acknowledge the sins that were done to you. It is Christian. It is a biblical principle to confront those who have accused or who have offended you and wronged you in some way. Because the response or the resolution to betrayal, is forgiveness. That is the biblical antidote to betrayal. And the path to forgiveness is paved with two things, acknowledgement and confession. One's acknowledgement of an offense exposes the wrongdoing. It does not say, this was okay. Rather, it says, this happened, and there's no denying it. Joseph deserved this as the one who was wronged in this story. And it was incumbent upon his brothers to acknowledge it as well as find Joseph's forgiveness. And that's the way we see our story end. Acknowledging the sin is one side of the coin. Confessing it is another. Because that involves verbally acknowledging one's wrongdoing to the offended party. It means also turning away from a behavior that induced it to begin with. And one towards reconciliation. It is possible for forgiveness to be granted by the offended party, despite the uh, offender's willingness or not. Because unforgiveness is sometimes a burden that's just too great to bear. Its bitterness can make the heart extremely cold, and it can trap one into a prison of deepening trouble. So we must acknowledge, as Christians, acknowledge and confess the sins against us. Thirdly, we must submit to God's sovereign plan over our lives. Listen, I know as believers, I know as humans, I know as people, it's hard for us to see what's going to happen at lunch today. Some of you may already have a plan about lunch. I don't know. You already have it planned out, talked about it in Sunday school, you hatched it up, and you're looking forward to it. And you're just wishing that I would shut up so you can go. I stand in between you and that buffet. 
I understand well that it can be troubling for a human heart to trust their future with the Lord, to just give way to His sovereignty over their lives. It, it doesn't mean, by the way, it doesn't mean this Christian cliche of let go and let God. Please don't do that. that that's not what that's saying. It means partnering with the Lord in obedience to the Word of God, that you are allowing your faith to be your sight, that you are allowing the sovereign plan of God to comfort you with each step that you take, even if that means it's in the darkness. The sovereignty of God uh, over our lives means that from, our, from the moment we took our very first breath until the moment we take our last, God knows. He sees. And he provides, in the meantime, exactly what we need, how we need it, and when we need it. That's the sovereignty of God. Betrayal can cloud one's ability to know God's will. Right? Because, and, and the reason this is true, because it overwhelms one's cognition with strong emotions and spontaneous judgments. We, be, we, 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 we react and say, right? When, when we as Christians react, we typically do the wrong things. Sovereignty says, I'm proactive. I'm already, I've already got a plan in my life that no matter what happens, I trust God's plan. That it's perfect, that it's okay. That even if bad things happen to me, that God is still there and that He's still providing for me. That's a proactive approach. But when we allow emotions and when we allow judgments to begin to, to override our cognition, we begin to make mistakes. We begin to act in the flesh, if I can use another phrase. Because when we're immersed in the heat of betrayal, then anything becomes permissible for the offended. In fact, anything becomes permissible as well. Because one can find justification according to one's own conscience. When you've been betrayed and you feel like justice is what you deserve, then anything's possible. Your conscience will justify just about anything. But both justification and conscience should be yielded to God's will and sovereignty. No one should ever be compelled to think they know better than the outcome of their circumstances than does God. Who are we to judge the future when we haven't even seen it yet? Such a position is both arrogant and proud. Rather, the scriptures would say to humble ourselves in the sight of God and let him exalt us. Isn't that the testimony of Joseph's story? He humbled himself, even in the prison of the king's court. Wherever he was, whether he was in Potiphar's house or the prison, wherever he was, even standing before his own brothers. Joseph, could he had all the justification he needed to bring down the rod of discipline in front of his brothers. He could have destroyed them. He was the prime minister of Egypt. He could have done whatever he wanted to. But instead, he chose to forgive them. That tells me that Joseph forgave his brothers long before Genesis chapter 50. That's surrendering or submitting to the sovereignty of God in your life. It's a proactive approach that does a whole lot more good than harm. Humble oneself in the sight of God and let him exalt you. Then lastly, that, that word just brought about new growing hunger pains, didn't it? The smell of that buffet just got closer. Forgive others as Christ has forgiven you. 
Listen to me, Christian. This is, this is a principle. It, it takes practice. Look, all of God's principles, whatever they may be in Scripture, take practice. Why? Because you're human. And it's not going to be a perfect science the first time you do it, or the second time you do it, or the thousandth time you do it. Your heart is deceitfully wicked, and it will always try to override what you know to be true from Scripture. And these principles have to be practiced. Forgiving others as Christ has forgiven you is a command from Scripture that is incumbent upon us to be obedient to. After all one has done to submit to God and has left all to be released from betrayal and to forgiveness, this principle resounds, forgive others as Christ has forgiven you. It sounds great in theory. It's the practice of it that seems difficult. And it is one. Or it's one of those principles that we have to practice because we know that forgiveness is the right thing to do and we just don't want to do it. Forgiving someone is one thing, or rather knowing to forgive someone is one thing, doing it is altogether something different. Because how does one one forgive the actions of betrayal? How does one simply overlook evil that was done against someone intentionally to harm them? Well, in principle, one forgives because they are cognizant of how much the Lord has forgiven them. And that principle goes a long way. Amen? Because the deeper one understands this principle, the easier the practice gets. Those who have been forgiven much will forgive much. Those who have not been forgiven much tend to be the ones that harbor resentment. They tend to be the ones that harbor bitterness toward others. But in truth, Christ has forgiven us all. In fact, he paid for our transgressions against him by dying in his Father's will for us. If Christ, as he hung on the cross, and he was able to endure and embody the collective sin of all of his children, if he was able to look at our lives and consequentially rise above them and die for them in our place, then believers, we can forgive others for the harms that they cause us. And when we do, we're allowing the the, the freedom that comes in forgiveness to be found. Look, it's not not perfect. It doesn't mean you're still not going to have flashbacks and emotions and all of those kinds of things that you're going to deal with. It just means that you have outsourced that pain to God rather than keeping it in your heart. That's a much better place to be. Much better place to be. We can see in our own lives then the outcomes of Genesis chapter 50. Joseph being able and willing. In fact, if we, leave, if we go back and we read the other chapters, Joseph was happy to do it. Matter of fact, he was teasing and toying around with his brothers as they were working out who is this guy. He knew who they were or he knew who they were the whole time. And he was toying with them. Because he knew he'd already forgiven him in his heart. He'd already reached that point a long time ago. And so betrayal turned way to forgiveness. Forgiveness turned way to reconciliation and redemption and restoration. 
That is the biblical principles that Christ is busy at work in, in our own lives and even among us. And so betrayal has no place. It has no place in the believer's life. It has no place in the Christian heart. And Joseph gave to us this model this morning that we can follow. That as long as we are faithful to God and as long as we are acknowledging those who have wronged us, confessing sin to one another, submitting to God's sovereign plan over our lives and forgiving others as Christ has forgiven us, then betrayal has no place. It has no room to foster. And we can give God the glory for the results. Amen, church? Amen. Amen. Let's pray this morning. Father, I thank you this morning for this word. Father, for our brother Joseph who gives to us an example today of how betrayal doesn't need to set in the heart and begin, and, and begin to, 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 talk, to foster bitterness and, and, and vengeance. Father, that, that despair doesn't have to be the method or the trap to which Christians are bound. But Father, you have given us an opportunity to be faithful to you. That despite our circumstances, that, your, that, that our faith to you is giving way to the providence and the sovereignty that you have in our lives to be found. And Father, as we live among others confessionally, and we do so acknowledging sins that we both commit and that we both receive, Father, that we can do so in a way that's restorative. And Father, ultimately, as we begin to to allow this forgiveness to take place in our lives, Father, we can be empowered to forgive others as we're reminded of how often you forgive us. Father, thank you for this truth this morning as, as your word has now been preached. I pray that it does not return into you void, but that it seeks to accomplish that which you desire. Father, bless this time together in invitation as we receive this word and we respond to it. We pray all this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.